Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. Your word given to us. Praise you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Fill us with your spirit. Amen. All right, you're growing up. And you finally know what you want to do with your life, right? You finally decide, this is what I want to do for a career. And you want to be a fisherman, just for an example. And so how do you become a great fisherman? How do you get into that career that you have finally decided, this is what I want to do? I, you buy books, right? You, you search the internet articles. You go to school, maybe, to learn more about whatever that trade is. You, you talk to, you spend time with people who are experienced in that field. You purchase all the right rods and reels so that you can really fish in the right situations if you're going to ocean fish or if you're going to uh, fish on lakes or whatever you're going to do. Uh, you, you go out and it, if you were just sitting at home with that equipment, how much good would it do you? It wouldn't do you any good, right? You have to go out and you have to do something with it, right? You go out and you participate in certain activities to make yourself into a great fisherman. You decided that that's your career, what you want to do with your life. And so you make these things a priority, these activities, this, this knowledge, you make it a priority in your life. You, you set aside the other things that you might have been doing so that you can make time for fishing or whatever your career might have been. I do, do I go fishing or do I eat lunch? I go fishing because I want to be the best, right? We devote ourselves to all things fishy, because that's what we want to be. As the body of Christ, are there certain things, certain priorities that we should have? If we want to be Christian, which means little versions of Christ, are, are there certain activities and interests that distinguish us? We can't just call ourselves Fishermen, right? I couldn't walk into Boeing and say, I'm a rocket scientist, right? They would look at me and say, well, what credentials do you have? What, what have you done to prove that you are a rocket scientist? And I'd say, nothing, right? I'm no rocket scientist. What is it as Christians that we are devoted to? Is it our work that distinguishes us? Is it school is it sports? Is it a certain program that we're devoted to? Is it, is it a certain kind of music that we're devoted to, and that's what sets us apart as Christians? When somebody looks at us, what is it in who we are and what we do that convinces them that we are versions of Christ, that we are Christians? In our passage today, we're going to see four priorities of the early church and the resulting impact of those priorities in their lives. Let's go ahead and flip open to Acts chapter 2, if you haven't done that already. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. It's going to be a long passage today, 42 through 47. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 42. 
and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The reading of God's Word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you very much. As the body of Christ, the church of God, the people whom he has called to himself, we have four things to which we should be devoted. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. These things and our dedication to them set us apart from the rest of the world, putting Jesus Christ on display through us in our lives for all to see. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to these things. This word devoted, its root is to be strong, to be courageous, not letting anything or anyone stand in the way. Same kind of courage that God called Joshua to. Don't let any of the peoples in this land stand in your way. You go and do what I've told you to do. Be courageous. Here in this passage, we see it as being persistent, steadfast, to endure in these things constantly, consistently, diligently. And it says the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, first of all. So we got to ask ourselves as the church today, what is this apostles' teaching of which it speaks? Well, if we look back at chapter 1 and we recall the things we studied Back in chapter 1, we can see that they taught from the Word of God, didn't they? After Jesus had departed and they went back to Jerusalem, they gathered together and Peter opened up the Word of God. He opened up that Old Testament Scripture and started discussing and teaching from the Word of God. They would have been passing on to the disciples around them the teachings of Jesus Christ as he commanded them to, didn't he? they'd be passing on those things that Jesus had taught them about the kingdom of God and its gospel-centered message. Matthew 28, 19. He told them, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The, The apostles would have been teaching all the disciples the things that Jesus had taught them, the things that Jesus had commanded them. He would have been teaching them, they would have been teaching the disciples how God's word, the Old Testament, points them towards Jesus Christ, just as he did in chapter 2 earlier when Peter 
reached out to the whole community and started telling them how the word of God points them to Jesus Christ, right? The things we read in the New Testament are the things that the apostles would have been teaching to the church. In 2 Peter, Peter makes a very interesting distinction. Uh, let's read it. 2 Peter three fifteen to 18. You can either open up to it or it's on the screen. And Peter reminds us here of our need to, be, to remain in God's word. And he includes in this both the New Testament and the Old Testament. Look at what it says. It says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So in saying that, Peter just lumps in all the letters of Paul with scripture, doesn't he? Can you see that? As they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How are they to grow in that knowledge? By remaining in the Scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament teachings. There is a consistent importance to God that we remain in his word, that we are dedicated to his word. If we look in the Old Testament, there's example after example of God telling his people to know his word, to be in his word, to to understand his word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise all the time. Having our mindset on God's word, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. They should just be all around you in your house, in your head, teaching, talking at all times, surrounded our lives by God's word. Another example, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates once in a while. On his law, he meditates day and night, all the time. As the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be more than familiar with God's word. More than mildly interested in Scripture. We need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We need to be devoted to Scripture. We need to be steadfast, courageous, strong, enduring, persistent in these things. 
consuming them on a daily basis. Verse uh, 46, we need to not allow a day to go by without it. Verse 46 says, and day by day, every day, attending the temple together. They were constantly going to church, constantly going to hear that word. Now, they didn't have Bibles at home, so how were they going to get God's word but from the apostles' teaching? So they were constantly gathering together so they could eat up the word of God. They could embed it in their minds and in their hearts. They found any way they could to be persistent in learning God's word and being devoted to it. Because man does not live by bread alone. If we eat bread, we'll live every day we have on this earth. And that's it. If we eat the word of God and we take it to heart and we trust Jesus Christ for his death on the cross in our place, his resurrection for our hope and justification, we will have everlasting life. That is the bread of life. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. We do not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to be devoted to devotional study. Just at home, alone, in our room, consuming the word of God regularly, diligently, daily. Conversational study in a small group, sharing life on life, in a Bible study, discussing the word amongst ourselves. Sunday morning, hearing that word proclaimed, preached, giving us energy, I hope, to go out into this world and take the word with us. We need to be sitting there at our homes not letting our Bibles become good cup holders, but, but devoted to memorizing it, letting it become a part of who we are so that as we're going through our week and we're having a hard time, the first thing that pops into our mind is something we memorized, something we studied, something we discussed with somebody we know. Learning how to read it without reading into it, but reading it for what it says. Having a good hermeneutic. If you have not attended BTC, the Bible Training Center, go learn how to read Scripture for what it says, knowing how it points us to Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, uh, assuming nothing. Let us assume nothing when it comes to God's Word. It, it doesn't matter what our favorite preacher has said. It doesn't matter what traditions we have grown up with. It doesn't matter what I'm saying up here if it doesn't say it here. And, and so we all need to be diligent students of God's word so that you know whoever's standing up in front of you, they are preaching this and not what's between their own ears. We need to be devoted to it. Devoted to his word, meaning allowing it to take precedence in how we worship and live our lives. We need to know what it says so that we will not be misled by the world. Because the world will do everything in its power to mislead us. We need to be devoted to God's word. Persistent, steadfast, enduring, not letting life or the distractions of this world stand in the way. We need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. 
It's not just about uh, an intelligence or a knowledge. It's a knowledge of God that is lived out in our lives. A lot of one-anothering, like I, I mentioned earlier today. Koinonia. It's that Greek word for fellowship. We even have a, a Bible class that's called the Koinonia class. Fellowship. It's a, a unity and a communion with others based upon a, a sharing in something together, together a, a holding something in common. And we can see from our passage today that they shared in Jesus Christ together. They held Jesus in common. And because of this, they shared in their everyday lives. Verse 44, And all who believed, all who believed, all, all nation, tribe, tongue, all generations, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They shared with one another life. They supported one another with their possessions. Verse 45 says, and they were selling their possessions and and belongings, distributing proceeds to all as any had need. They were worshiping together. Verse 46, and day by day attending temple together. They, they were eating together. They broke bread. The same verse says they were breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. See, the, the church is a unified body that encourages and builds one another up with all that God has provided us with in any way we see need, in any way we see a part of the body suffering. We come up underneath them and we support them. We love them. We cherish them. This body, these people in this room, they are precious. We need to be valuable and precious to one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's a great togethering of the body of Christ, isn't there? Strewn throughout Scripture. We spend time together. 
and we share in life that we might build one another up in our walk with Christ, encourage one another, use our gifts and blessings to bless one another. Because if we spend our days tearing one another down, if we do not grieve with the others in the body, if we do not provide graciously for one another, if we are just coming to church as a religious exercise, if we allow division amongst us, how are we different from the world? How do those activities put Christ on display for the world to see? Jesus tells his disciples that the thing that will set them apart from the world and distinguish them, that the world would look at us and say, those are Jesus' disciples, is, is their love. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. How did he love us? Selflessly, right? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He calls them right there to a, a deep, intimate sharing of life, a fellowship in the body where we care for each other. If we allow personal preferences to make a division in the body, if we allow anything to keep us from connecting in fellowship, sharing together, then we are no different than the world. And we will not shine for Christ. And in our individualistic society, it's difficult. This is a difficult concept to grasp because we, we think if I get mad at so-and-so, I can just move on to another church, right? There's 52 churches in the immediate area. I should be able to have my own program or my own personal preferences here. Let's keep the youth over there and the people like me over here and the others over there. The world... See, the beauty of the body of Christ and the glory of the Lord is seen in the restoration of relationships. How we provide for one another spiritually, physically, socially, in unity, together. The world should see how God reconciles us to himself in how we reconcile with one another. We are living examples as the body of Christ of who Jesus is and what he has done in us. God is revealed to the world in the unity of the body that is curiously different from how the world lives. The early church lovingly took interest in one another's lives. We need to ask ourselves, how am I actively participating in the lives of my church family. Maybe those that I don't even really know yet. How can I take an interest in who they are? How can I one another with them? So we should be devoted to God's word, devoted to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And this phrase has two concepts. First, it's, it's the sharing of meals together. Verse 46, day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad, generous hearts. So we, we have this concept of um, sharing a meal together in somebody's home. There, there is something special about allowing somebody to sit at your table in your home, isn't there? We don't just do that with anybody, do we? 
It's entirely different than coming to church or, or going out to eat and sitting at somebody else's table, bringing somebody into our home. See, do when we do that, they will see who you really are. They will see how your family really interacts with one another. For some of us, this concept might be a little scary. Do I really want people seeing? See, but, but what it should be is an opportunity for others to see the work of Christ in our homes. That they would see that your walk with Christ is private as well as public. That we are the same person at home as we are when we go to church. That it pervades every aspect of who you are, where you are, wherever you are. Yes, it allows them to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it opens up conversation. And it gives us the opportunity to speak into each other's lives. To, to provide encouragement for one another. See, we need to be those who will invite other believers into our homes, into our lives. Not, not that you have to have everybody over or, or hold regular parties of any sort. But, but that you are willing to share life with the body of Christ in a way that brings them into our own life. Not just sharing it out there, but sharing it right here, close to the vest. This phrase is also a reference to communion, that in which we partook this very morning. Sharing in this rite that Jesus Christ himself had commanded us to partake in, that we would diligently and consistently remind one another of what Jesus has done on our behalf, that we would remember our dependence upon a risen Savior. This, this isn't about dead religion. It's about active living worship as a corporate body for a living God. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us, his resurrection and our hope of everlasting life. Amen? We, we, we help each other as we partake in this to, to get focused on the Lord in, and, and his work in us and for us. It's important that we break bread together in our homes, here in the church, taking communion, reminding one another of these things. So we remain devoted to his word, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. Prayer is an integral part of the Christian life. It's strewn throughout Scripture. Our God is a God who is close at hand. He didn't wind up the world and then walk away to see what happens. He is right here amongst us. His, our, our bodies are described in Scripture as a tent, a temple for the living Spirit of God where he abides in us. Joshua 1.9, when God commands Joshua, he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Matthew 28, 20. He's talking to the disciples, the apostles right there. I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When God commands, he remains. He is present. He does not leave. He does not forsake. 
He ensures, he comforts, and he intercedes on our behalf at the right hand of the throne of God to this very day. And when God commands, he also empowers. Chapter 1, verse 8. Oops, I went too far. Chapter 1, verse 8. Acts. When Jesus commands the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem and so on and so forth. See, when, when Jesus commands them, he empowers them. And he says, I'm right here with you. I have not left you. Our God is a God who is close at hand, and he's a God of communication. Letting himself be known to us as he did with Moses. Who shall I say sent me? I am who I am. What a beautiful name. Desiring us to know him relationally. Isaiah Chapter 1, verse 18, God says, come, let, come now, let us reason together. He wants us to, to hear his word. He wants us to communicate with him, commune with him. He, he desires that we talk and share with him conversationally. In Matthew chapter 6, we see that Jesus teaches the disciples to be people of prayer. Knowing that our Savior is risen and we serve a living God, that he is indeed seated at the right hand of God. Knowing what Jesus has done on our behalf, the rich and lavish grace that he has given to us on the cross, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16. See, God is not dead. He listens and is able to answer prayer. He is able to do more than we ask or imagine. Do we believe it? Do we know it? Do we rely on it? Are we devoted to it? How is your prayer life? Do you have that personal prayer life? Do you spend time alone in your prayer closet? Casual prayer is good as we're driving down the street and we're just tossing up prayers to God or whatever we might be doing. Casual prayer is good. Devoted, focused prayer is gooder. Let's make sure we're having those personal times where we're really focused on the things of God, the people around us who need to be lifted up before our Savior. Corporate prayer, do you spend time with others on a regular basis daily just saying, hey, let's pray about that? When they share something with you, hey, let's pray. That corporate prayer encourages, builds up, lifts up, it brings us back to that fellowshipping that we are called to be devoted to. The word, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, all these things are to what we are supposed to be devoted. What is it that keeps us from being devoted to these things? From learning more of God and his word, growing closer to him from encouraging and building one another up in fellowship, from from spending time together, inviting people into our lives, remembering our Savior together, from, from praying to the living, omnipotent God of all creation. What is it that keeps us from these things? Have we allowed life to become just too busy? Is it school? Is it work? Is it a broken relationship with somebody else at the church? And so I'm going to show you, God, I'm not going to do these things because I don't like that person. What, what is it that keeps us? Is it a tummy ache? And I, I don't mean to belittle the things of life that affect us. Sometimes they affect us overwhelmingly. I don't mean to make light of our responsibilities. 
But have you ever wondered where the power and presence of the church has gone? There, there is a spiritual war on. I wonder if, if we all, not, not just a few of us, not just some leaders or, or a couple of us, but all of us were devoted to these things. If we sought out diligently and consistently God's word in our lives, fellowship in our lives, breaking bread together and bringing people into our lives, praying together and, and individually having that focus and that real relationship, that walk with God, would the church today be like the early church? I certainly think it can be. Not because we are all that, but because God is still the living God. He hasn't changed. He is still faithful. He is still omnipotent. He is still omniscient. And he is still omnipresent. There is nothing different about him. If we were devoted, read read 43. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see the impact that the early church had upon the community around them because of the things that they were devoted to? Would our community be in awe? And the word there in Greek is the word for fear. Would the community around Alden Union Church be in fear? if we were really devoted to these things. And I'm not saying for them to be afraid of us, but would they be afraid of what God might do through us in their lives, causing them to drop the things they love and find real love through Jesus Christ? If we... If we, we But we have glad and generous hearts that are so glad and so generous that we praised God in ways that people could see in such a way that people noticed. And might we affect them to have favor with us as they saw the the smile on our face because we know the things we've been given we are glad and thankful for. And we have joy in our lives. Would we have an effect upon them as we praised God and fellowshiped? Would they maybe come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior because of who we are or what God is doing through us? Could we have this kind of an effect on our community? Would we change the social culture and structure of the Philadelphia area? Or have we grown content? Do we, do we let things stand in the way of our devotion? I kind of like things the way they are. I'm in my comfort zone. So does the world. So does the world. So let's consider how we can become devoted people of God. Says they devoted themselves. 
They didn't wait for somebody else to do it for them. They didn't stay in that room and, and say, okay, Jesus, do something, and then just stay seated, quiet, waiting for God to do something. They, they, they devoted themselves. They went out and did something with it. They got the gifts from God, and they went out and did something with it. Let's set daily times to read God's word, not letting ourselves make excuses. Let's not neglect the gathering together of the saints as some are prone not letting ourselves make excuses, sharing in communion, sharing at our tables, uh, waking up and praying, setting times of day every day to pray. Be devoted to these things. Not letting this Christianity thing be a religion in our lives. I did my duty, went to church. No, you went to church to learn, to apply God's word to your life, to fellowship with others, to break bread together, inviting others into your life, to pray and to commune with the living God. You didn't go to church to do a religious duty. It's not a religion. It's a personal, living, reconciled relationship with a God who is alive one that brings us into the body of Christ, making us a part of a family, that we would together begin to affect the world around us. Let's remember what Jesus Christ has done for us and not be content, but devoted. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your love for us, for your devotion to us, that while we were yet your enemies, you came and you died, Lord Jesus Christ, on that cross, knowing that we would not do it for ourselves, knowing that the only way for us to pay the price of our sins would be an eternity in hell. But Lord, you didn't desire that for us. It's your desire that we should come to know who you are and the salvation that is in Christ alone. So we praise your holy name. Help us, Lord, to be a people devoted to you just as you were devoted to us. Help us, Lord, to see and recognize the things in our lives that keep us from this devotion and to cast those things aside and fill them with the things of God. Make us an effective tool in your hand here in our community, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.